Please remain standing as we pray together. Come Holy Spirit now, we pray. And Lord, ignite the word of God in our hearing. Lord, set our hearts ablaze with your love. Fill us with inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that uh, as we delve into the scriptures this morning, that this would be a life-giving, liberating, transformational word. Lord, we know that this only happens anytime anything good happens from this pulpit. It is all your work. And we confess that and acknowledge you to be the source and giver of all these gifts. So come, Lord, your flock is gathered. Feed your sheep. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there is so much going on in this passage from Luke's gospel this morning. At first glance, it looks like there are two distinct points of emphasis, two emphases in the passage. On one hand, we see a healing, what looks like a healing story, and then it's immediately followed by a conflict story. But I want to suggest, in fact, I'm sure that there is a beautiful unity in this passage that directly links those two items. It's a, it links what God is doing in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, and with keeping the Sabbath. But in order for us to see the unity here, we have a lot of biblical dots to connect. So as sometimes I do, I'm going to issue the warning. Warning, warning, there's a lot of Bible in this sermon. So get ready. This is, as I often say, the Anglican way is a Bible church way. And so you're going to be using your Bibles this morning. And I encourage you to read along as we go from passage to passage. The context for this passage we heard this morning, the setup for this is that it occurs within what is called the travel narrative of Luke. Beginning back in Luke chapter 9, the scripture says this, when the days drew near For Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so from Luke chapter 9 to the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is on the road. This is a road, you know, on the road kind of uh, uh, picture at this point. Nobody here remembers those on the road uh, with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. So except for me and Deacon Ann and... (laughs) Other people who watch Turner classic films, I guess. Well, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem, and he's going there to fulfill God's mighty acts of salvation through his suffering, death, and resurrection. And along the way, he enters a synagogue on the Sabbath, and he teaches, and that's where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 13 this morning. And in the synagogue, there's a woman that Luke says, listen, this is what he says about this woman, that she has a disabling spirit, or I think in the King James it says she has a spirit of infirmity, which results in her being bent over without the ability to straighten herself up. Now, opposed to what many uninformed people think, all illness in the New Testament isn't attributed to spiritual or demonic forces. Oh, those primitive people, those primitive, poor, backwoods, uneducated people in the first century, they just thought everything was caused by evil spirits. You know, thunders in the, in the skies and evil spirits. No, 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 no. That's an uninformed opinion. Actually, Luke is very careful to distinguish between those things that have a spiritual Uh, antecedent and those things that have a physiological antecedent. He is, after all, a physician. 
And as a matter of fact, it says in one place, when Luke, back in uh, Luke chapter 8, we have the woman who has the issue of blood, which made her ritually unclean. And Luke says that she had spent all her money and, and had uh, not gotten any better. She spent all her money on physicians. He never says that it was due to a spiritual problem. He says it's a physiological problem. By the way, Mark, you know, Luke is a physician. Mark isn't a physician. So when he tells the same story, he says she spent all her money on physicians and didn't get any better. She got worse. And, but <laughs> Luke leaves out that point, believe it or not. That's a professional courtesy. All right. So he knows there's a difference. And when he says that her physical condition is brought on by a spiritual power, he is making a point. There is something we need to know. And in fact, I want you to keep that in your hat because it will come to be very significant in just a moment. So listen to verses 12 and 13 again. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. When Jesus calls the woman over, he declares her healing, right? No. Jesus never uses the word for healing, which, by the way, is the same word for salvation in Greek, sozo. He never uses that word at all. In this whole, quote-unquote, healing story, he never talks about healing. The only person who thinks it's about healing is the synagogue ruler. Listen to what he says. He doesn't declare her healing. He says, woman, you are freed. Jesus declares her liberation. You're set free. He literally tells her, you have been unbound. You have been set loose. And that should make us think, that should take us right back, hearing how Jesus is liberating this woman, make, it should make us think about how Jesus began his ministry in a different synagogue, in his hometown synagogue back in Nazareth, when he stood up and he took open the scroll of Isaiah to the place where it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And listen, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus says today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone was amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. He kept on preaching and then they want to kill him. Uh, that's what, exactly what they took him to the brow of the hill to throw him off. But we, we're not going to get to that point in this passage. When Jesus declares the woman's deliverance, he uses what is called here. He, sa he says this. Listen again to what, how, it's says, uh, how it's stated. Woman, you are freed from your disability. He doesn't say uh, God frees you. He doesn't say I free you. He says, woman, you are freed. That is a distinctive voice in the Greek. It's called the divine passive voice. And it's always used to talk about something, an action, to declare an action that God has done. And so Jesus is saying, woman, God has set you free. And everything Jesus says in the controversy with the synagogue leader is not about healing and the Sabbath. It has nothing to do with healing the Sabbath. Rather, Jesus only talks about what he has just done in context of being delivered from bondage and the Sabbath. And the synagogue ruler just doesn't get it. So here's their question. Is Jesus a Sabbath breaker? Is he breaking the Torah at this moment, the Ten Commandments, the law? 
Well, in order to answer that in this context, we have to look back to, did you know that the Ten Commandments are not given just once in the Torah? Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments are stated two times. And the second time is in the book of Deuteronomy. And that's where we need to go first. We're going to go, we'll go back to the uh, the first mention in Exodus 20 in just a minute. But the second time we get the uh, Ten Commandments, the people of Israel are about to enter the land of of promise. And so Moses reminds them of the commandments and he took, and it happens in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I want you to listen to this. This is the fourth commandment about keeping the Sabbath. The people of Israel, excuse me, observe the Sabbath day. Moses says in Deuteronomy 5.12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. By the way, the word Sabbath in Hebrew literally means stop. It's stop day. We say it's a day of rest, but it it actually means the same thing as stop. On it, you shall not do any work. Stop. (laughs) Stop working. Now, here's the reason for the Sabbath. Listen closely to the reason that Moses gives them for the Sabbath. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why is the Lord, therefore, the Lord commands you to keep Sabbath? Why? Because you were a slave from Egypt and God led you out a bondage. And that's what every slave wants to do is be delivered from mandatory labor to be set free. Why are they commanded to keep Sabbath? Because it's about God delivering them from bondage and slavery. Sabbath is about being set loose. It is about being set free. Now remember what it says in Luke chapter 12, that this is another point of connection. Yes, there's a lot of Bible here. It says that Jesus saw the woman. You know, that Luke is very intense about, uh, or intentional, I should say, about that in terms of, of being looked at or seen by God or Jesus. Uh, think, about, think about Elizabeth in um, Luke chapter 1, when she uh, becomes pregnant in her old age. She and her husband, Zachariah, get pregnant in the old age, and she says, the Lord has looked on my reproach. He's looked upon me. He's noticed me. Mary says in the Magnificat, um, you know, magnify the Lord, you know, because he has looked upon the lowly estate of his handmaiden. He's looked at me. And in Luke chapter 7, Jesus, the the woman uh, of Nain and her son is dead on a beer. Uh, A beer is not just something at the bar. A beer is something you carry dead people on, evidently. How is it spelled? B-I-E-R? B-I-E-R. And, and so there, her son is on the bier, and Jesus uh, sees, it says, and he saw her and said to, to the woman, do not weep. And he goes over and he says to her son, arise. God in Christ seeing the affliction. And so it says that Jesus saw her. And this should also, being seen by God like this, should remind us of God seeing the affliction of his people in Israel, of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt and how he acted to deliver them. All of this is tied together with Sabbath and covenant. Listen to what it says here. 
Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then listen to verse 25. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is directly connected to Jesus seeing this woman. It gets even better, and more more connections get made. What does Jesus call this woman in verse 16? He calls her a daughter of Abraham. Back to Genesis, I mean Exodus chapter 2, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. Jesus says, you are this daughter of Abraham. This is a startling phrase. Daughter of Abraham is a startling phrase, and it occurs only one time in all of the Bible, and it's right here in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 13. Jesus is specifically referring to her as a part of the covenant. You daughter of Abraham. So Jesus isn't breaking the Sabbath. He isn't breaking the Torah. He's just knocking the accretions. He's scraping the barnacles off the Sabbath and returning the people back to their core story. And the core story is this. God is a covenant-keeping God. He calls Abraham and creates a people from his lineage to be in relationship with him. And he sees their bondage and he frees him. And now listen to what Jesus says to the synagogue ruler. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you... On the Sabbath, listen to what it says, untie. But literally the word for in Greek here is to set loose his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Satan is the Pharaoh binding this woman and Jesus sets her free. And that is the fulfillment of Sabbath as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 5. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day because Sabbath is about liberation. Sabbath is about deliverance. But wait, there's more. To quote Ron Papil. Take a look at what the woman contributes to this healing. Go back to Luke 13, verse 12. When Jesus, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. What is not mentioned about this woman here? There is no mention of her faith. You know, sometimes there is a great connection between God's mighty works of healing and deliverance in the scriptures and the healings that Jesus does. And that's an important point. But we also need to see here that Christ sovereignly, God in Christ sovereignly acts regardless of the person's initiative. It doesn't say anything about this woman having faith. It doesn't say anything about her coming to synagogue so Jesus would heal her. Evidently, this is just what she did on the Sabbath. She went to her local synagogue, and this Sunday the guest preacher was Jesus. Or Saturday, I should say. She contributes what? Well, it says Jesus called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed. You are loosed from your disability. 
There's no mention of her faith, no mention that, Jesus, that she wanted Jesus to heal her. It shows that there's only one action in this entire passage of, that has any connection. Only one act in this healing is that Jesus, after proclaiming her healing, her deliverance, he laid his hands on her. And then listen to what it says in verse 13. I want you to hear this. Very important. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Did you hear that? The Bible doesn't say that she straightened herself up. She didn't straighten herself up. It's like God's hand straightened her. She was made straight. She didn't straighten herself up. She was made straight. Through Jesus Christ, God alone is the initiator and the actor in this drama. The only thing that this woman contributed to this miracle was her disability. The only thing that she had to bring to the table was her brokenness. Jesus does it all on her behalf. Jesus grants her rest from her affliction. I want to suggest to you that what is going on here is not Sabbath-breaking, but it is the very essence of Sabbath. The woman is the very model of resting from her labors. She does nothing, not a thing, except God's gift through Jesus Christ, and then she gives glory to God. Here's the point. Remember that the fourth commandment, in the fourth commandment, God tells his people to remember the seventh day and keep it holy by not working on that day. They're to rest from all their labors. Now listen to how the fourth commandment was given when it was, and what it is founded on, what it's predicated on back when it is first offered in Exodus chapter 20. This is how it's first stated. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For Now listen, here's the rationale for Sabbath. Listen. For in six days the Lord made, the hev- made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested, stopped, Sabbathed on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God's work was finished, perfect, complete, and in commemoration of that completed, finished work, God commands his people to cease from their labors and rest in the completed work of creation. Listen to this connection. All of this points to Christ because in Christ, God's work of redemption is complete. The Sabbath God commands in the book of Exodus points directly to and foreshadows Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of the Sabbath. How can I say that? What in the world would make me say that somehow Jesus is Sabbath? Where where would I get that idea? I'd get it from the Apostle Paul. In Colossians chapter 2, in verses 16 and 17, Paul says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new, mo- or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow, a foreshadowing, a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the Sabbath. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, that's even made even more emphatic. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whosoever, listen, for whoever has entered God's rest, whoever has entered God's rest 
has also rested from his works. What does that mean? It means when you accept Christ, when you're born again, you're entering his rest and you don't do it on your works. What does it say in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? It is by grace that you have been saved and by, by faith and not by works, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. Not by works. What do we do when we come to Christ? We rest from our attempts to please God in our own flesh. We rest from our desire to try to get right with God. As we used to say down in Atlantic when I was a, a pastor down at the end of the road in North Carolina where Highway 70 ran into the Atlantic Ocean, they would say this. They say, God does not clean his fish before he catches them. You don't get cleaned up before God catches you. You rest from that. And so it says here, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What a perfect picture of Jesus Christ. He is God's, finish, God's finished work of salvation, and he delivers us from oppression. In Exodus, the Sabbath is based on the fact that God has completed all his work in Jesus Christ. God has completed all his work of salvation in Christ. There is nothing more that we can add to it. We just have to rest in it. We bring nothing to the enterprise except that we are bent and broken people who, just like this woman, cannot straighten ourselves out. I once uh, heard somebody talk about uh, a minister who, who, after several years, had left the ministry and gone into the undertaking business, and somebody asked him why he did that, and he said, well, now when I straighten people out, they stay straight. We can't straighten ourselves out. Just like this woman, God alone can act in Christ to do that. Sabbath is about our resting in God's completed work. It is about God doing the liberator, and, and it is about, Isaiah says this about the Sabbath. He says, let the Sabbath be your delight. And then at the end of that passage in Isaiah chapter 58, it says, the Lord is your delight. The connection is even there in Isaiah. How do we keep Sabbath? We keep Sabbath by resting from our labors to please God in ourselves and depend fully on the work of Christ. We keep Sabbath by letting him deliver us from the things that bind us and then glorifying him for, letting, for when he lets us loose from, his, from the bondage that we have experienced in our lives. We act like this woman did. We praise God for being liberated people. By all means, keep Sabbath. Take a time of rest. We're going to. I hope you will too. You need to. I think the human body is set up for Sabbath. But ultimately, all the Sabbath points to is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. And we are reminded of this Sunday after Sunday when we come to the Lord's table. And he feeds us. All we do, which is, by the way, the reason when Father Keith or I fence the table and we give instructions on how to receive the Eucharist, we ask people to make a tray with their hands like this, as opposed to what? As opposed to me reaching out and grabbing that bread. In other words, and people still do that, by the way, and, and they're just wrong. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. No, but the point of that is you come as someone who does not bring anything except the desire to receive. 
You don't, your action is just to receive the gift that God has given you and to consume that and let his life come into you. God wants us to rest in his finished work. So Christian, where this morning are you striving? Where are you in bondage? Won't you let Jesus be your Sabbath? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.